0: Welcome to episode 57 of the G2 on 5G. It's the latest insight scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 15 minutes and it's brought to you by more insights and strategy. I'm Will Townsend and joining me again this week is fellow analyst, Angel Sag. Let's get started with our special Mobile World Congress 2021 wrap up. So my first topic is uh, focused on AT&T. They announced with uh, Azure for Operators that AT&T will be moving its 5G mobile network into the Azure cloud. Now question is, is this a wise move? I was actually uh, pre-briefed uh, ahead of this announcement and spent time with executives at both AT&T and, and Azure. You know, and from my perspective, it's a smart move. Um, AT&T in my mind has really led the, ch- the operator charge with respect to investing in software defined networking tools. They were, they've been doing that for about five years now. And um, it's no secret as they get, you know, kind of refocused on what they're best at. The latest spinoff of Warner Media, and now moving, um, you know, basically their, their network functions into the cloud. I think this is a good thing. I mean, certainly, you know, Azure has, um, you know, the the win in its sales. Um, they're doing a lot within uh, the telco space from a cloud perspective. And what I also like about this transaction is that. AT&T will actually be transferring um, IP that it developed over the last five years to Azure. And Azure will will use that and leverage that and share that with with operators globally that take advantage of its services. So from my perspective, it's a win-win. It's gonna provide, um, you know, needed scale and competency for AT&T to really sort of scale out. you know, as we've talked about DISH on prior podcasts, they're um, they're also focused on um, deploying, you know, a cloudified um, 5G mobile network. And so from my perspective, um, this is a good thing. What are your thoughts?
1: Um, I think I agree with pretty much everything that you said. I would also add that I think it's interesting that at and would allow or not maybe, maybe now, but enable Microsoft to share a lot of their IP with other operators um, just because at and is a global operation. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they have, they have businesses in, in Mexico as well as in the U S um, but I think it's, it's a positive thing, right? Like at and uh, they need uh, to have a partner who understands their network mm-hmm. um, and they have a very complicated network because they have, you know, lots of backhaul. Um, they have a very, large tier one network um, and they're doing lots of new and interesting things in addition to 5g including expanding their fiber network Um, and i think as they continue to broaden um, the bandwidth that they're enabling in in all different types of connectivity uh, they're going to need a partner who can keep up with them and has the right infrastructure Uh, and it seems like them them, they're going very deep uh, with microsoft on Azure.
0: Yeah, yeah, they definitely are. I actually got some, you know, inquiries from journalists and they were asking, does this mean that AT&T is giving up the management of its mobile network? Absolutely not. Um, this will be hosted on, you know, the Azure uh, platform, but AT&T will still manage and operate the network. So, and again, you know, it's, it's leveraging core competencies that, that, uh, that AT&T, you know, recognizes Um, that can really kind of grow the capability and the quality of service longer term. So we will definitely keep our eyes posted on this one and report back on future podcasts. Let's move to your um, first topic this week uh, with respect to Mobile World Congress. And there were some announcements on 5G chipsets. And I know um, a new DPU family with Marvell, and you want to spend some time there and talk about those.
1: Yeah, so i'm specifically kind of focusing uh on chipsets for this part of the um podcast uh there weren't as many 5g chipset announcements uh as we've seen in previous years a lot of them have been modem announcements or you know rf front end announcements um and we covered some last week that that kind of led up to mwc um but this week was very heavy uh, from qualcomm specifically Uh, they announced a new Snapdragon 888 Plus, Mm -hmm. which is an improved version of the Snapdragon 888, which is already shipping in most Android's flagships today. The difference is it has a faster CPU and about double the AI performance. So they've really improved um, the performance of the 888 in a way that matches what's needed from the market. Um, And I expect that you'll see phones from it very soon. Um, Definitely available before the end of the year. Uh, And then in addition to that, Qualcomm also announced a second generation of their 5G RAN small cell Mm -hmm. uh, platform, which is the FSM 200XX. I assume the XX is for adding new numbers as there's different uh, SKUs. Mm -hmm. Um, What's interesting about that product is uh, it enables up to eight gigabits per second on millimeter wave uh, as a small cell, which is impeccable. Uh, and four gigabits per second on sub six. So um, the sub six is 200 megahertz of spectrum, um, but this is gonna be a very powerful solution. It adds support for 41 gigahertz, which is band N259. Mm -hmm. And it adds supports for 26 gigahertz, which is band N258. So it's adding support for new bands that are like not even in use yet. Um, So it's a very future looking platform. Um, And it's very comprehensive. And it also supports uh, 3GPP release 16. So it's just jam packed with features. I think this is going to be a very popular platform for the infrastructure vendors to deploy 5G in places where, you know, they're space and power constrained. And this is going to be, you know, probably the go to solution for a lot of companies.
0: I agree. You know, Qualcomm is taking that infrastructure play to the next level on the small cell space, and they had a big announcement at um, their 5G summit. And this is just more wind in their sails, as they uh, they they're really, from my perspective, they're really owning that small cell market.
1: And then the Arm Octeon announcement uh, is a lot more, also kind of a RAN focused announcement. It's mm-hmm. their Octeon 10, which is a, a DPU. But what's interesting is it's using the latest generation of Um, arms neoverse cpus Mm -hmm. Uh, i believe it's the n2 and that's just interesting because it has so many networking capabilities lots of bandwidth so much processing ai capabilities Um, it's just jam-packed with features and capabilities that i think a lot of their their partners are going to be interested in implementing in their in their network infrastructure equipment
0: Yeah, I wrote a Forbes article about this, um, you know, sort of analyzing the announcement and the features are impressive. Um, DPP, which is a new form of packet processing that integrates AI and ML, uh, a a one terabit switch. uh, And also um, the company claims that um, that platform can reduce power substantially by over 50 percent. So this family continues to mature and provide, you know, it just seems like quantum levels of performance um, with, with new iterations. And so um, Marvell, you know, just like Qualcomm, they're, you know, from my perspective, um, it's, they're, they're sort of neck and neck and really sort of driving the, the 5G silicon front. But let's move to my second topic this week. And Ericsson and Google uh, Cloud Platform announced a partnership for edge enablement. And, uh, you know, my question is, can this help accelerate Google from laggard to leader? And um, I don't think necessarily this one announcement will do that. But, you know, on prior podcasts, I have spoken to the fact that, you know, from my perspective, uh, AWS has been in the pull position. They've been in the lead position with respect to, um, you know, cloudification and bringing edge enablement to these mobile network op- um, operators. Um, you can look at, you know, tie-ups with Verizon and AWS uh, to that degree. And then Azure has been, you know, a strong second coming on very quickly with key acquisitions and those sorts of things. And we talked about the Azure at and lockup. This is gonna provide um, Azure, I think, you know, more momentum. And so, you know, Google, you know, with their Anthos platform, um, they've sort of been you know, um, you know, kind of waiting in the wings. And so I think this might be the, the first step uh, in the right direction for them. Uh, Kevin Schatzkammer is the general manager or VP. That um, manages their telco business. He's a former Dell executive. I, I know Kevin, and I had actually reached out to him, and he said, "Stay tuned. Um, that you know you're you're going to be hearing more about GCP and their push into the telco." But it, I think this is a positive step forward for for Google, and certainly partnering with Ericsson in my mind is the right move. I, I don't know if you have any additional uh, insights there, buddy. But go ahead.
1: I do think that Google is definitely a laggard, and. I don't think this one announcement will necessarily, you know, make them leapfrog all the things that that they've been behind on. Sure. Um, but I do think that Google is starting to understand five G better. Um, I think that they, as a company, didn't really prioritize it either on the infrastructure side nor on the consumer device side mm-hmm. uh, until fairly recently. Um, and I think now that there's there's someone at Google who is pushing 5G more aggressively, I think we're seeing um, a more aggressive push towards enabling 5G, both on the infrastructure side Mm -hmm. and on the client side. So, um, you know, Android as an OS now on 11 has unique 5G specific features. So, Mm -hmm. I I think that we're just seeing Google as a company maturing uh, in its understanding of 5G. And for a company of their size, I think that they can definitely catch up uh, more easily than say a smaller competitor that, you know, mm-hmm. doesn't have the scale Google does.
0: I agree. Yeah. And the resources as well. I mean, when Google puts its weight into something, they you know, usually, you know, they do it with uh, with a plum. But let's uh, let's move to your second topic, and I want to I want to comment on this one. But um, you know, I saw Elon Musk. I think he dialed in the Mobile World Congress. You know, maybe from Starbase, Moon Unit, or wherever in Texas. You know, and uh, I, I was pleased. I tweeted it out and said I was pleased to to see you know Elon comment on something other than cryptocurrency and Dogecoin, right? Um, but he was speaking about Starlink, and you you had some information that you wanted to share about that.
1: Yeah. So. The reality is, is that, you know, Starlink is an internet connectivity um, company. They offer internet service through satellite um, uh, in a way that's shown to be faster and lower latency than any other solution to date. Um, And there've been questions about, you know, what uh, what kinds of bandwidth can be sustainable as the company grows. Yeah. And uh, one of the big things that were talked about was, first of all, Elon came out straight up and said he doesn't see Starlink as a competitor to 5G and fiber, but as a complementary solution, yeah. um, which I think is a much more mature um, statement than I think what we've seen maybe in the past. Uh, sometimes Elon gets um, caught it's up in his
0: promise. Well, I
1: think he <laughs> just gets caught up in like what he's talking about and kind of doesn't necessarily focus on the reality of the situation. But clearly he's made a, a slight course correction. As, and and I think my view has always been that Starlink and any kind of satellite technology will be complementary to 5G yeah. and fiber and fill in the holes where um, you know, fiber and 5G simply cannot scale, right? right. Um, and I think there's a lot of people out there that would benefit from that. That said, they currently okay. only have 69,000 customers um, in the in the world, in about a dozen countries, and they're paying about a hundred bucks a month for mm-hmm. their high internet, high-speed internet, which is not great, um, but it's also not horrible. Yeah. Um, and the the problem is the terminals are very expensive, mm-hmm. um, which is something that they're working on reducing the cost of. Um, and they already have fifteen hundred satellites in orbit, and they're they're planning on launching many, many more. Um, and they said that they plan on investing somewhere between five and ten billion dollars to continue to grow the the constellation. But what's interesting is that um, there were statements about the fact that um, Starlink, you know, will need to gain customers and revenue to remain sustainable. Mm -hmm. Um, And that might come to the tune of a $30 billion a year business to maintain the cost of satellites and and bandwidth. Mm -hmm. But what's interesting is, you know, the claim is that 500,000 customers um, might be served by this. But I think reality is something like Starlink would need to serve millions of customers or tens of millions of customers if it's going to be a truly global solution and to fill in the gaps in places where it's needed. Um, and I do, I think that Starlink cannot be the only company to do this for it to truly be a, a solution for people, uh, in the fringes of internet connectivity.
0: Yeah. You know, OneWeb certainly they they've emerged out of bankruptcy with Hughes and, um, you know, I, there was actually an announcement at Mobile World Congress on, on something that they're doing, like a proof of concept and that sort of thing. And I think you researched what it's like, you know, Elon believes that, you know, Leo can contribute three to 5%, you know, of the needed sort of connectivity. So I agree with you, it's, uh, it's sort of a gap fill. And but it's certainly, you know, no argument for me, and, and I've, I've been on public record stating this and Forbes articles and tweets and blogs and whatnot that, you know, low, low earth orbit satellite will definitely be, you know, an element uh, part of bridging the digital divide. And I also wonder, I don't have any information on this, but I also wonder if, uh, you know, like, you know, Elon has seeked with or sought with um, SpaceX and Tesla government subsidies to the tune, you know, of hundreds of millions of dollars And I wonder, you know, these these big infrastructure packages that are being kicked around um, Capitol Hill, if he isn't, you know, has his designs on, you know, getting some additional funding uh, to sort of subsidize what he's doing here. Because, yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, to 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 scale that business and, and to make it, you know, you know, sustainable long term. You know, you're going to need more than you know, you know, a few hundred thousand customers to make it to make it a reality. So, but we'll definitely keep tabs on this. And um, let's move to my third and final topic this week uh, at Mobile World Congress. And it was at the beginning of the uh, of the event, Telefonica came out and they were they were speaking pretty harshly about the uh, the EU and the European Commission with respect to outdated regulations. And so, are they are they on the mark and I got to say, yeah, they are. You know, I, you know, there's no question that Europe has lagged other parts of the world with respect to 5G deployment. A lot of that is uh, complications related to individual countries, you know, managing spectrum auctions and, and that sort of thing. But, but in general, you know, as you kind of dig into it, um, you know, th- the regulations are pretty outdated. You know, you know, call them old school, call them what you will and um and so i you know i applauded Telefonica you know you know they they came out i think it was on the first day and they really you know kind of threw a dart you know at at the subject and you know and there their operators other operators in europe like deutsche Telekom that have been very vocal uh, about you know individual country spectrum auctions and the escalation and you know raising revenue and you and i have talked about that on prior podcasts in particular as it related to the C-band auction. So I think there needs to be better governance of just the overall spectrum auction, and then just in general, uh, a revisit of of regulations in Europe. So I don't know if you caught this news at the show this week, but did you have any, uh, any insights?
1: I did not actually. Um, I think that one slipped under the radar for me, but I know that when you look at the European framework for um, carriers and and regulation, Mm -hmm. um, it's, definitely focused more on enabling uh, access and cost controls Mm -hmm. for consumers rather than focus on innovation. Um, And I do think that with 5G, we are seeing some rejiggering of that um, regulation Mm -hmm. to uh, enable innovation and rapid growth. But I do think that you're right, um, that there needs to be a rethinking of things. Um, But that said, I also think that there's a um, an inherent difference in the way the European market works compared to, say, the U.S. or China, mm-hmm. um, where you have you know dozens of member states who have different goals um, and they have different understandings of what uh, a mobile network operator needs to deliver, mm-hmm. um, what internet services need to do. Because in Europe, they may not have five G to the point where we have today in the U.S., but they also pay half of what we pay for. Uh, essentially the same amount of bandwidth or even faster yeah. speeds so there's there's yeah. some give and take there and i think that um the Europeans just have a different way of approaching things um and I think that that may has i think that kind of inherently puts them in a position where they might not always be the leaders in something but i think it also positions them maybe for the in the long term to still have a more uh, consumer friendly uh, framework than maybe what we have in the U.S. and in other countries.
0: Yeah, I mean, you made a very astute comment. The focus has been on access. And when you look at, you know, um, all of um, the hoo-ha that went around, you know, roaming within the EU, right? And and all of that, and um, and then, yeah. And then, and then you look at rate plan pricing vis-a-vis what you see, for example, in comparison in the U.S. And it's like, I was just talking um, to someone who's based in Greece uh, last week and yeah I mean you know for for a similar plan he's he's paying half the euros than I am and you know in dollars and so it's it's definitely been more of a focus on access and especially when you think about like Wi-Fi as well and and what you know you know you has done you know to provide you know free Wi-Fi access you know versus monetizing Wi-Fi so it's yeah I think you know, As they start thinking about the regulations, they start thinking beyond access and they start thinking about, you know, all the transformative applications and use cases that are going to come out of 5G, maybe that'll change. And and that'll start with the European Commission, because they're the ones that are really sort of focused on all of that, but but great insight. I'm glad you brought up the access piece. But let's move to your third and final topic this week. And actually, Deutsche Telekom is a great segue, because you want to talk about DT and Ericsson uh, with a 5G demo.
1: Yeah, so... There were actually two big announcements that happened in XR and 5G uh, at MWC. Just because I'm like our XR guy, I wanted to pull mm-hmm. those in. Uh, one is a Deutsche Telekom and Ericsson 5G network slicing demonstration, and the other one is uh, uh, NVIDIA's Cloud XR 3.0. So um, when you look at these announcements, um, they they kind of um, demonstrate how closely connected. 5G and XR are together. Um, We've we've seen them talked about a lot uh, across the industry for multiple years, but hasn't really come down to anything of significant like meat yet. We're we're kind of getting in the early phases. And I think one of the big um, use cases for 5G network slicing is XR. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people have talked about it, um, but now Deutsche Telekom is working with Ericsson and Samsung in a lab trial um, to basically test a, S21, a Galaxy S21 tethered uh, VR headset and then work with Ericsson on their 5G infrastructure to have a specific network slice for VR um, to enable uh, you know dedicated services and capabilities for VR which will also work for AR. They're essentially, um, you know, they operate the same and they're both both very low latency. And what it did is it kind of looked at the different capabilities for um, 5G end-to-end um, network slicing that would, you know, maintain latency, which is super important if you want to do, you know, ne- uh, edge compute VR, where mm-hmm. you off, you, it's called you know, split rendering, where you render some on the cloud and you render some on the headset. Um, and, you need to have a very reliable latency and compute capabilities to make that happen. And that's why I haven't really talked about it much on the podcast because I didn't think it was really a viable solution until we had network slicing. And this is a big step in that direction because it actually starts working out all the different types of problems you might have and trying to do a network sliced um, VR application. And, you know, that is a big deal because Ericsson's one of the big, big, uh, you know, 5G-RAN vendors. Yeah. And um, yeah, it actually kind of tees up for my second topic, which is NVIDIA's Cloud XR 3.0, which is kind of the infrastructure end of that um, in terms of compute. And uh, what NVIDIA does is they, they, you know, first of all, they make the GPUs uh, and and the CPUs that can run in the cloud and do this really high performance rendering and then send it out to an AR or VR headset in the 5G network. Mm -hmm. So they've started adding more features um, to their CloudXR platform, which uh, utilizes their ray tracing capabilities, but also is adding stuff like iOS client improvements. So you can like have a 5G phone and be looking at a a fully rendered uh, automobile that's rendering in the cloud. Yeah. those kinds of things would be impossible without Cloud XR and having the right latencies um, built into the 5G network. So they're adding uh, asynchronous connection support. Um, so that way clients are um, maybe still connected consistently when they're establishing a connection to the server. Um, and they added um, some bi-direction audio so that way you can like, you know, use it for more than just a one-way connection, you can actually use it for an actual interaction with other users in the cloud. Um, And then they're also adding tons of API changes and bug fixes. Um, And they also have uh, the uh, Wave VR client for improving color and gamma handling. So this is very like professional focused um, but I think all these professional improvements in cloud XR are going to be what drive the consumer capabilities down the road, where you have an AR headset, you're walking down the street, and things are just streaming to your headset from the cloud, and your headset doesn't need to be a gigantic helmet; it can just be a nice, sleek yeah. pair of glasses.
0: Yeah, you don't need a lot of, you know, compute power, right, when you're when you're connected to, you know, the cloud. So, uh, well, hey, we went over a little bit, but we had a lot of great stuff to talk about with respect to Mobile World Congress this week. But why don't you take us home?
1: Absolutely. We hope our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting. If anyone out there would like us to provide specific topic on a specific 5G topic for future podcasts, please reach out to us on social media. Will is at WillTownTech and I'm at Anshal Sag. We hope you have a great weekend and please tune in again next week.